Well, good morning. In the seventh day of the seventh month of the seventh year of the new millennium, you math wizards can figure out when that was, July 7th, 2007, in Lisbon, Portugal, there was over 100 million votes that came in to select the seven new wonders of the world, to replace the ancient wonders of the world at the time. Do you know some of the new wonders that were selected? Have you seen them? Petra was one. The Taj Mahal. The Wall of China, the Great Wall. Machu Picchu was one. The Roman Colosseum was one of the great wonders that was selected. Chichen Itza was. And one of the ones that actually kind of caught me off guard, but I love it, is Christ the Redeemer statue that is over Rio de Janeiro. Those were the new selected wonders of the world. The Egyptians were absolutely furious. They were like, we can't even believe that we're even up for nomination because we're the pyramids. We have those. And so actually they all decided, listen, we're going to have a select category and the pyramids will stay in as a special category of the great wonders of the world that still are standing today. All these amazing structures show what human beings can accomplish. All the amazing creativity to build these wonders of the world. And as amazing as these buildings are, there's even one that is more amazing, one that is more wondrous, and it's the temple of God. The temple of God, where God, our holy God, dwells. And now there is a temple not made by human hands. A temple made by our Lord God. A temple that is under construction. And so my prayer this morning is that we can connect as we go into 1 Kings 5, Solomon's building project of the temple that we can connect that God is doing in us this incredible work in us personally, in us together as a church, that we, the temple, are under construction. Through the saving work of Jesus Christ, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, this temple... This temple is truly a wonder of the world. And it's being built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Let's pray that we see Jesus this morning in the building of the temple of Solomon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that we are under construction. I thank you that you're doing an amazing work. I thank you, Father, that from the beginning of time that you have longed to dwell with us, to be in relationship with us. And Father, I ask this morning as we study your scriptures in 1 Kings 5, I pray 
Lord Jesus, that we see You, Jesus. See You in the Old Testament, see You in this specific passage of the temple. Because You became the temple. God dwelt in You. Father, we uh, surrender this time to You. May our hearts be open to You. In Your precious name, Amen. Well, we're getting into 1 Kings 5. And I just want to dive in. I'm going to read it this morning for you. 1 Kings 5. When Haram, the king of Tyre, heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father David, he sent envoys to Solomon. Because Haram had always been on friendly terms with David. And Solomon sent back this message to Haram. You know that because of the wars waged against my father David, from all sides he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is no adversary or disaster. And so I intend, therefore, to build a temple For the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son whom I will put on the throne in your place will build a temple for my name. So give orders that the cedars of Lebanon may be cut for me and my men will work with yours and I will pay for your men whatever wages that you set. You know that we have no one so skilled in felling timber as the Sidonians. And when Haram heard Solomon's message, he was greatly pleased. And he said, praise be to the Lord today. For he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. As Jackson has been reminding us about Solomon's incredible wisdom. And at the end of chapter 4 last week, we just see... His wisdom continues to flow out as he leads as king of Israel and flows out into the building of this temple unto the name of the Lord. Verse 34 of chapter 4. From all nations, this is amazing, people came from all around the known world to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. And so here they're coming, and in the middle of all of this, Solomon is getting ready to build the temple of the Lord. David desired so much to build the temple of the Lord, but we're told in the scriptures and in several places, but Chronicles 28 is one of them, where David, listen, I love you, but you're not going to be the one who's going to build my temple. I am going to raise up your son, Solomon, And he will be the one who will build the temple. And the reason for that, David, is because you're a man of war. You're one who has blood on your hands. There's never peace around you. There's always battles going on. And so now I'm going to have Solomon come in and build my temple because I believe God wanted to be known as a God of peace, and a God who is peace. And so as we see the building of this temple, 
I think it's going to reflect the peace of our Lord. He calls in Haram, who's on friendly terms with King David. Haram had built the palace of King David. And he brings him in in incredible wisdom. And he continues this relationship with Haram, the Phoenician, out of Tyre. And he continues to build this peace relationship with him. And he comes in and he's, and he's developing this, this venture that's going to be based on trade. And he's going to bring in skilled laborers and the beautiful cedars of Lebanon to build the temple of the Lord. Solomon's wisdom is bringing about international peace in the country and in the land. And as we look at chapter 5, the truth is, is that peace truly permeates this whole chapter. And in the building of the temple, to see that God is a God of peace, Solomon, the root of his name, is rest, is peace. And he's going to build this temple in Jerusalem, Jeru, city of shalom, of peace. The one who is of peace is going to build in the city of peace this temple to reflect the peace of God. It permeates all throughout. And it reflects Jesus. You have to see Jesus in this chapter. Because Jesus is peace. Isaiah 9, 6. Always that we use at Christmas time. We're always celebrating Christmas. My lights just were taken down yesterday, as a matter of fact. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. That's who Jesus is. And that's how God wanted to be reflected in his temple in Jerusalem, the city of peace. Going back to verse 4. Now God, the Lord my God, has given me rest. I thought that word was shalom. And when I was doing my word studies, it actually is, now God has given me open area. Everything around me is open. There's no adversary. There's no battle. It's all open to me. And it's all open for God to do his work and to bring peace in the land. Now God has given me rest, open area. On every side, it's open area. And there is no adversary. Another interesting word study. There is no adversary. That word actually in the Hebrew is Satan. There is no Satan who's attacking me. God has controlled the enemy. There's no spiritual attack that's coming from the enemy. God has really bound him to bring peace into the land. There is open area. There is no enemy. God has control of the enemy. It's been put under the Lord's feet. It's a reminder of Revelation 
brings us to the culmination of things when the Lord has control over the enemy and he's thrown into the lake of fire. You see, as Jackson brought out in the last several weeks, this whole idea of Solomon's kingdom is, is all that God is intending, all the beauty, all the resources, all the blessing. Even though we live now in a broken world and we're sinful. But here's a picture of heaven. Here's a picture of my kingdom. Here's a snapshot of ultimately what it's going to be. But for now, in this world, brokenness will continue. He's bringing about peace. And when you think about the temple, ask yourself this question. What's one of the things that took place at the temple? What's one of the things that took place at the tabernacle? One of the main functions of the temple was what? To bring your sacrifice unto the Lord, right? So every day they were bringing sacrifice, asking for the forgiveness of their sins. What happens when you come and and you confess your sin and you bring your sacrifice before the Lord? What happens there? Well, guess what? God meets you right there. He forgives you. He restores you. And He makes you at peace. Isn't that what happens? And we are at peace with God. We are in right relationship with Him. And when we are, we are at rest. The temple was meant to reflect his peace. The sacrifice was made there. Do you see Jesus? Colossians 1.19 For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, how did he do this? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The temple to reflect his peace. Let me just ask you a question. I had a, I had a deal with this as I was studying and preparing. What does it look like for you? Are you a person who comes into a room and, and offers peace? Are you a person who brings peace to a troubled situation? Or are you one that continues to stir it up? Are you one that continues to, to fight to somehow get your way? Wrestle with that a little bit. Maybe there's someone today that you need to go make peace with. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. He's our Lord of peace. And he wants us to be reconciled. He wants us to be in right relationship. Are you a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Are you bringing wholeness to relationship or brokenness to that? For the kingdom of God's not a matter of eating or drinking, Romans 14, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way, listen to this, is pleasing to God. And he also receives human approval. So let us therefore, are you ready? Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and a mutual edification. Peace reflects 
the character of God, when you bring peace into the situation, it pleases our Lord. Don't you want to please the Lord? Or are you going to continue to live for self? And peace honors his son, Jesus. Christ is living through us, who is peace. The temple is to reflect the peace of God. As Solomon, in his wisdom, is building the temple, he goes on. I want to take you to to verse 8, starting there. This building is crafted with wisdom, built with wisdom. Verse 8. So, Home Depot Haram. That's in the Hebrew. He really was the Home Depot. He sent word to Solomon. He said, I've received the message that you sent me and will do all you want in providing the cedar and the juniper logs. My men will haul them down from Lebanon to the Mediterranean Sea. I will float them as rafts by the sea that you specify. And there I will separate them and you can take them away as you grant my wish by providing food for my royal household. In this way, Haram kept Solomon supplied with all the cedar and juniper logs that he wanted. Solomon gave Haram 20,000 cores of wheat, that's just a lot, as food for his household, 20,000 baths of pressed olive oil, yum. Solomon continued to do this for Haram year after year after year. And the Lord God, and all of this, you have to see this, the Lord God gave Solomon wisdom. Just as he had promised him, And there were peaceful relations between Haram and Solomon. And the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon conscripted laborers laborers from all of Israel, 30,000 men. And he sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month. They spent one month in Lebanon. And then what they would do is they would come home for two months at a time. The craftsmen of Solomon and Haram and the workers of Biblos cut down and prepared the timber and the stone for the building of the temple. I want to show you a short video just to give you an idea of all that Solomon was working towards and location. So let me show you this uh, short video for a minute. Solomon's temple stood in Jerusalem for almost 400 years. It was the crown jewel of Jerusalem and the center of worship for the Lord. Almost half of the Old Testament writings took place during the time when Solomon's temple was still standing. Understanding the significance of its location, history, and design can greatly add to one's reverence for one of the most holy places in the world. The city of Jerusalem is located in an area of three major valleys, the Hinnom, the Central or Tyropian, and the Kidron Valley. The mountain range between the Central and Kidron Valley is called Mount Moriah. The peak of the mountain is a large protruding flat rock, which is now located under the dome of the rock. According to Genesis 22:2, Abraham was commanded to sacrifice Isaac in the region of Moriah, connecting the Temple Mount with this significant event. At the time of King David, The area of Jerusalem was controlled by the Jebusites, the city only occupying the southern part of the central ridge. When David captured the city in about 1000 BC, he made Jerusalem his capital. 
David then moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and began preparations for building a permanent structure to replace the portable tabernacle of Moses that had been used for over 400 years. With the ancient city of Jerusalem being fairly small, David purchased the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite so he could expand the size of the city. Being higher than the city of David, the hilltop would make a beautiful place to build the temple of the Lord. Under the reign of David's son, King Solomon, the temple construction began. After seven years of construction in about 960 BC, Solomon finished building the temple, most likely built over the same protruding rock of Mount Moriah. Solomon also built himself a new palace just south of the temple and expanded the walls of the city up towards the peak of Mount Moriah. The Temple of Solomon was modeled after the Tabernacle of Moses. I hope that just gives you an idea of what was going on and where it was being built on Mount Moriah. All the people that came together between the Phoenicians and between the Israelites. And one of the things as you study this chapter and you look at all that was being done to build the Temple of the Lord, you can't help but be kind of stuck and, and kind of wrestle with, well, wait a second, that was a lot of forced labor. And what do you do with that? Like, is that good? Is that bad? What was that like? And just to give you a little, little nutshell, I think it was viewed a little bit differently in this context as they're preparing to build the temple. They were under monarchy, a king's rule. The labor was shared and what there is, and all throughout history you've seen this, what's called corvée labor. Corvée labor is where you bring people in from whatever land you're in, and you bring them in for a certain period of time, and it would be similar to this, where they'd come and work for a certain period of time, then they go home. But corvée labor was to set up these incredible uh, projects, these public projects, uh, all around the world. And it went on for history, uh, years and years and years throughout history. And so I think this is sort of like corvée labor, where he's bringing them in. And, and I feel like, at least in the text, we see a little bit later where there's some, some issue with, hey, this isn't fair, this isn't right, how we're doing it. But in this text, I think it's viewed as, you know what, we're, we're responding to the call of the king to come and serve. I think the treatment of the people would go and they would work hard for a month and they were able to come home and be with their families and make a living, and then they go. This context, again, is everything that Solomon is doing as he's building the temple is done in the wisdom of God. So I feel like he's trying to, at least at this moment, trying to treat the people with dignity and respect, but he needs them to help build this temple unto the Lord. And so the temple is being built. You know what? It may not have been ideal. It may have been difficult uh, it may have been oppressive sometimes. It might have felt that way. But I think in God's wisdom, uh, he was leading the people. And there did come a recognition. We are building a temple unto our God. This is our God. And we're part of this building project unto him. And so they served. And over a seven-year period, the temple was built. You know, sometimes for us, What's that like? You know what? Our work situation may not be the best. It may not be easy. We may feel it's unfair. 
It's difficult a lot of times. And in all work situations, what does the Lord call us to? Whatever you do, Colossians 3, work with all of your heart as working for the Lord. You do not work for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And when you start to recognize that, then you go to work and you go, you know what? How can I be used of the Lord in kind of a lousy situation to, to bring God's wisdom to a situation? Maybe at work you're the one who's going to bring peace to a situation to reflect who our God is. Solomon ends up in this work relationship with Haram, who's a pagan, who's an unbeliever. And that's another thing you kind of wrestle with. You're like, why would he choose this pagan guy to build the temple to Yahweh, to God, to I Am, to the Holy One. But Haram doesn't really want anything to do with him. Haram uses words of blessing, and we don't ultimately know Haram's heart, but a lot of times in the words where he's saying praise to the Lord, that's all just kind of lip service. I want to butter you up. Thanks for, for getting me all this food, and this is a good deal. And so he serves in that capacity. But he comes into this relationship. And so one of the things, again, we have to wrestle with is, well, what does it look like to to invite in or to work alongside with unbelievers? To have a contractor come and build on our home who doesn't know God. The covenant with Abraham. And you are to be a blessing to all nations. To all nations. And you are blessing, in this case, you're blessing Haram with all of this food. He needed it. And you needed the uh, cedars. I think we're called to work with unbelievers side by side. Because aren't we salt and light in this world? How else are they going to know about the love of Jesus? Don't, Don't hold unbelievers at bay. Don't just enter in always with believers. Come alongside, invite them in, work with them so that you may be having the opportunity. Bring wisdom into your work. Can you imagine seven years side by side with the Phoenicians working and putting together the temple? I can only imagine they're going, hey, well, tell us about this temple that you're building. What's it all about? Tell us about your God. Seven years, day after day, working to build a temple unto the Lord. What a beautiful opportunity, right? Sometimes you go, oh, I'm working with these hard people and they don't know the Lord. What a beautiful opportunity. Don't miss it. To be a blessing. To bring peace. Kings from all around the world were coming to hear Solomon's wisdom. Well, what is this temple you're building, Solomon? We want to hear your wisdom. But also, what's this project? What's it all about? Can you imagine all the people who got to hear about the love of God and who God was? God resides with us. Our God dwells with us. Do you see Jesus in that? Emmanuel, God with us. The Phoenicians are coming to build. And as the Phoenicians are 
building with them and as they're working in Lebanon together and getting the cedars cut, as all of this work is taking place, God is being glorified and known. What a beautiful privilege and opportunity. He's literally feeding them. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And he's inviting all of them to the table. And so it's just a question, I think a challenge for all of us. Do we put unbelievers to the side or do we invite them to the table? What does that look like? In wisdom, the temple continues to be built. What is the reason for the building of the temple? Why bother? Why take all this time? Even the Lord way back when was just like, I don't need a temple. I don't need a place to dwell. Solomon acknowledges that in, in Chronicles 1 and 2. Listen, it's, it's, it's too big of a... We can't contain our Lord. But he allows him to build a temple for his name's sake, where he will be present. Why build the temple? Verse 4 reminds us again, I am therefore going to build the temple for the name of the Lord my God. And he said to Solomon in Chronicles 28, Listen, you're going to be the one who's going to build it up. And David says this to his community. And this is Chronicles 28. There's a couple chapters I want you to step into to get a bigger picture. 2 Chronicles 1 and 2, and actually up through 5, it talks about all the building of the temple, all the meetings that took place. Chronicles 23, Chronicles 28. To give you a whole picture of what's taking place here. Here's what Chronicles 28.8 says, David speaking. I charge you in the light of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, in the hearing of God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as what? An inheritance to your descendants forever. And then David sits with his son Solomon and he says this, Chronicles 28, verse 9. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. Serve him with a wholehearted devotion, with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. And if you seek him, you will be found by him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you, Solomon, to build a house as a sanctuary. Be strong. And do the work. Why build the temple? It's to glorify the name of the Lord. Solomon steps into it. It's a passing on of godly heritage. So that all the people can come and bring their offerings before the Lord and worship the Lord. Let us continue to obey the Lord. And so he's bringing on this godly heritage. I think Solomon is responding to his calling of the Lord. I want to bring for my Lord this temple. God has called me to this. I want to serve him. I want to obey him. I want to lead our people closer to the Lord our God who is present with us. It really has the idea of this enduring legacy that's going on for the name of his Lord. And it really has this picture of seeking first the kingdom of God. How are we doing that? 
Are you inviting the Lord into your plans? In all that you're doing, are you asking yourself, how will this glorify the Lord? How will this represent, how will this reflect the Lord my God? How will this reflect Jesus? Because his name needs to be known. I am building this for the name of the Lord. It's for his fame that he would be known throughout all of the world. You've got to understand something. There were temples being built all over the place, and actually much bigger than Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple is only half the size of Herod's temple that will come later. So it wasn't like this massive structure. It was nice. It was beautiful. But there were temples being built by kings all around the world to house their little gods. I'm building this for the name of my God. And when you say that, that means my God is the God of gods. My God is the great I am. And as people were coming from all around the world to seek the wisdom of Solomon, which truly was the wisdom of God, he's able to reflect and share. Let me tell you about my God who dwells among men. Let me tell you that he is the God above all gods. Let me tell you about his love. He is the object of our adoration. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about how he longs to love you and to be in relationship with you. It's not like your other gods. You live in fear of your gods. We live in relationship with a God who is present. Do you share with others about the Lord your God? Do you glorify his name? Do you let people know who he is? Solomon proclaims and builds a temple so that his God may be known. All of this chapter in the building of the temple leads us to see Jesus. Solomon points to us, how can we glorify the name of our Lord? But he does more than that. He shows us Jesus, who is the true temple. And then we become the temple of the living God. Here's what it says in Luke 11 about the true temple, about Jesus. Jesus is talking and he says, The queen of the south will rise at judgment with the people of this generation and will condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. But now something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying that about himself. There is a greater Solomon. There is a greater kingdom. There's a greater Lord, and it's me. And in me you shall have life. Jesus loved the temple. He loved going to the Father's house. He would teach daily in the temple. And then in John 2, we get this incredible image as Jesus is talking about himself. At Passover, Jesus was teaching in the temple, destroy this temple, And in three days it will rise up. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. The temple is the dwelling place of God. 
Jesus' temple was flesh and blood. It was a body that was prepared for him, like Hebrews 10 says. Jesus is the sacrifice. He took the physical body, his physical body, and he offered it as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus gave himself for our salvation, the temple of God, so that we could have life. And he did it to honor, to glorify the name of God by saving his people, by saving you and me. He's glorified the Father. And then when Jesus went to the Father and he went into his presence, there was now a new place that's under construction that would become the temple. And that's you and me. And that's us together as the church. We are, we are the temple of the living God. Would you soak that in for one second? We are the temple of the living God. To reflect his glory. He says very clearly that you have become the temple of the living God. I will live among my people. I will be their God. They will be my people. What lousy building material, Lord, really? Yes, really. You clay pots, I'm going to shine through so that the glory of God is revealed. Don't you know who you are? Chosen, temple of the Lord. The real temple is the people of God. Not a building. Living stones. Living stones. Let me finish with 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you got to know that. You also, like living stones, are being built. We're under construction and we're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone, Jesus. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe that this stone is precious, but you are, listen to who you are. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy, that means set apart nation. You are God's special possession. That's used of marriage language. That's who you are. That you, here's what we get to do. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. That's what God has done. And so may we, the temple, declare his praises with all of our life that he alone is glorified, that his name is made known, because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that that you would actually use us, this broken construction material, to be your temple. 
Father, may each and every one in this room this morning know that they are chosen and beloved and valuable and that you dwell in them, in us together as a church. Father, help us to reflect your glory. Help us to make your name known. We love you, Lord Jesus, the cornerstone. Amen.